whatever happened to the church. I want you to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, as you pass the buckets as they're going by. I want to continue in this very important series. It's very significant to our church. Hey, we are back from vacation. Did you get my Harvest News on Friday? Please raise your hands. You watch, you read it. We're the readers of Harvest News. Where's the rest of you? Please, you're going to make me feel like, like a loser, you know? Harvest News, Friday, mentioned being back. Uh, if, you, if you ever want to study a great man and woman of God, study Billy Graham and Ruth Graham. Uh, it was phenomenal to be uh, where they did ministry, where they were raised, and some of the things that Lee Knight experienced down there was truly phenomenal. Uh, we just loved, loved, loved what God opened up for us to be down there in North Carolina. And then we made our way back up to Liberty University. That's where Lisa and I met uh, 30, I think it was 32 years ago now. So we did some reminiscing, went to a football game, and just really reflected on all the times that, uh, that God visited us, even at Liberty in those early days. That was where I got born again. I got born again at Liberty. Thought I was saved when I went to Christian college. Wasn't really. Um, we have some people going through that experience now at Harvest. You thought you were saved when you were just a little kid, and then the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself, opening your eyes truly to the gospel, and you're believing on Christ for genuine conversion. Well, that happened to me back at Liberty. Anyhow, it's good to be home. It's good to be back in, in Reading. Whatever happened to the church? You ever, have you seen this? Like, so, oh, hold on. Wow. Okay, here we go. What was I saying? I completely got distracted. Um, anyway, going back to whatever happened to the church. You were seeing like those social posts. That's where I was. Here's coming back to me. Or, or maybe you've seen a program on TV where it's whatever happened to them, whatever, where are they now? You ever seen things like that about people that were once really well-known and maybe they're not super well-known? I have a person I want you to see on the screen if you could bring him up. And maybe you're, you're familiar with who this is, right? Does anybody, can, can we do it, right? You remember? Hey. <laughs> it's like all of the old, this thing still isn't working. Right. It's like all of the older people are like, oh, I remember that. Can we bring up the next picture? Where's he at now, Henry Winkler? There he is. Actually, can you help me out again? There's like a little clip. Scott's the one that usually does this. Yeah, if you could just make sure it doesn't move. Okay. So Henry Winkler, yeah, he's, uh, he's still doing some great things. But um, whatever happened, I mean, there have been multimillionaires, very well-known people that um, are now just basically in obscurity, maybe even. Uh, this isn't going to work. Honestly, it's not going to work. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Some are going like, what? Check, 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 check. One, two. Oh, finally. That was going to bug me. I just couldn't. It was hanging back there or something. Anyhow, this is going to be interesting to see how the Holy Spirit takes this message now. But I do want to get back into the series. I want to bring up a quote by Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary in 1956. He received a spear in his chest uh, trying to take the gospel to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And I really think that was happening to the church in our own day. And we've already looked at some things, which I'll do a quick review. Um, but I think that sometimes the temporal is more important to us as Christians. And so Jim Elliott was one who released his grasp on things that were all earthly. And temporal. And this is what he said in his journals Father, let me be weak that I might loose my clutch 
on everything temporal. My life, my reputation, my possessions, Lord, let me loose the tension of the grasping hand. I remember talking to Elizabeth Elliot uh, about these journal entries of her husband. And I really think that the church is really not understanding what Jim Elliot really was grasping in the 1950s. I think we're holding too tightly on some things that we need to loose our, our grip on everything temporal. Would you agree with that? Do you have a tendency to do that in your own life? You're just wanting to try to control something, and it's very difficult to really experience all that God has for us. And some would say that Jim Elliott's life was cut short. I think he was 28 years old when he was speared to death. Um, but the countless millions of people that he has impacted because of his martyrdom is just phenomenal. So he really did lose his grasp when he died young, but his impact was way beyond probably most of our lives will be. Try loosening your, grip, your grasp on everything temporal and see what God will do. But I think that's some of the reasons why. Let me go through a quick review of some of the things we talked about in this series. The first message we, I did with you, and I was still here when I did this, was the corporate invasion of the church. Church is becoming like big business. And it really is losing its organic, it's losing its simplicity uh, as it gets larger and as it gets more uh, well-known. In the 1980s, it was the decade of the evangelicals. And, and from there on out, it's like you become an evangelical um, and have a church that's evangelical. There's, there is some, some kind of popularity. The larger you get, the, you know, the more well-known you are and things like that. But as we've seen, maybe if you've been following any of the modern um, the news in, in social media, you'll see that churches like Harvest and James McDonald and also like Bill Hybels and others are going through immense difficulty. Uh, and somewhere along the line, I think that there is some of this big business, this corporate invasion of the church. And understand this, that my title here at the church or the elders that are going to be installed are just that. They're elders and they're pastors. They're not CEOs. Uh, we're not businessmen. We're shepherds. Uh, but there is a corporate invasion of the church that I think is really causing uh, some serious damage to the church. Second message that we looked at, and that was Don Heinz, and he handled the word of God, the critics' infection on the church. You know that the enemy wants to bring a critical spirit inside of the body of Christ to bring disease. And so that has happened since day one, not only in the church historically, but also with Harvest Reading. There will always be a critical spirit that will try to get in, and we have to be careful of that and Don handled that. And then also last Lord's Day, Ben did the compromise infiltrating the church. And I've listened to Ben's message, and I want you to do, he did so many right things in that message. I haven't listened to Don's. I've only, I've listened to Don before, and that's why I didn't listen to it yet, but I have never heard Ben preach. Uh, and so I just think that uh, one of the hardest things to do is speak in front of people. And for Ben to handle the word of God, I don't know if Ben's in here. Is Ben in here? Hey, Ben's over here. He's hiding out. Can we just give him an honor hand clap on that? I mean, for handling the word of God and bringing it to. That was a good message. That was compromised. We grieve the spirit of the Lord a lot, and we don't bear the fruit of the spirit. And he was in Galatians and handling the word of God so accurately. So there's some of our, our background, some of the things that we've already looked at. But I'm going to talk to you about, and you already have a handout probably. I've titled this message, The Consumer Impact Against the Church the consumer impact. So John chapter 6, verses 22 down to verse 34. Let me talk to you about consumerism and, and its impact against the church. No doubt it's been since the early days. I'm going to show you in John 6 where consumerism is showing itself. But before we get to that actual text, I'm going to give you three principles out of that. I want to talk a little bit about consumerism or to consume. 
We're really, really good at being customers and consuming everything in sight. Uh, let me go back in time for those gaming fans. If you want to bring up that image there, you might recognize who this is, right? And so this is before all of the, the really advanced video uh, graphics. And this was probably dating, oh, I don't know, maybe back uh, 40 years ago. Uh, so Pac-Man, Pac-Man, remember the game? It was, it was so high tech, right? It was so advanced. But it was just basically this thing that was consuming all of what it could consume. And we have become very similar to Pac-Man. In fact, let me give you some statistics here. Every year in this country, we will consume, this is Americans, on average are consuming 23 pounds of ice cream a year. 23 pounds. You're thinking, well, that's not that much. Well, you know what happens when 23 pounds, and I just happen to have something that's 23 pounds here. Imagine 23 pounds of ice cream a year. Where does that go? <laughs> like right here, you know, or like right here. And so it's just incredible what we're consuming. Every year, just in this country, uh, we will consume, Americans will consume, 1.1 million Twinkies. Twinkies, yes, Twinkies. Now, what they did with Twinkies, there was a good old golden sponge cake, but then they came out with these really awesome chocolate version of Twinkies. And so I'm going to be 1,101,000 for today, you know? Okay. We are consuming at incredible rates. I saw a bumper sticker. Bumper sticker of a Christian coming out of church. Shop till you drop. So what's the deal with shopping and consuming? Shop till you drop. There are some who think that shopping should be an Olympic sport, right? And you're thinking, wow, I probably could win the gold, right? if that was an Olympic sport. Just in the past 10 years, 10 billion, 10 years, $1 billion has spent on apparel, clothing apparel. Top 10 reasons why uh, people will shop. Any idea what the number one reason why you'll shop? What is it? It's actually to cheer yourself up. That's number one reason why we shop till we drop, uh, to cheer ourselves up. In fact, you'll spend... 53 hours in a grocery store per year. How many days, uh, how many weeks in a year, right? 52? So you're about an hour, right, in the grocery store every week. Women will um, own nine outfits in 1930. Today it's 30 outfits that women own. We are, we are spending $24 billion storing our stuff, all of our stuff. 1972, you'll see a graphic here. It was a game show. Uh, you rec are you recognizing this next graphic? Price is Right. Do you remember watching The Price is Right? I'm trying to figure out what's going on here with consumers in, the, in, the, in this country. So you had the, the early 1970s, and then there was another game show called Let's Make a Deal. Do you remember that one? Uh, it's just really quite amazing. Uh, I think a lot of that was the beginning of some of the things that we're seeing in consumerism. Now we need to try to figure out how has it impacted the church. When you have a consumer mind, uh, how has it impacted the church? So I went to the grocery store last night. I want to go on location. If we could bring up the first graphic there. There's a picture. I wanted to find out how many options of cereal are there. And so, uh, we, have so we have a myriad of options. Now, now 
Some of you might think that's a good thing, but actually when you have a myriad of options and a variety that is just off the charts, it's actually doing damage to the way we think in so many different ways. It looks great because we're thinking, wow, I got all these choices, but really that can backfire on us. And I'm going to try to show you the reason for that. So there's about 400 different options I counted of cereal. 400. This is just one of them. This is multi-grain Cheerios. Uh, and then I, if you show the next clip here, uh, watch this. This is bread. I mean, there was just so many different kinds of bread. How many different breads did I find? It was uh, 100. <laughs> 100 options. Of course, you can have your wheat bread. Uh, there's some really one. There's really cool names for some of the bread. This is called Dave's Killer Bread. Dave's Killer Bread. You know, there's a hundred different options. And then I went over to the beverage area, and that was just crazy. It's just one of three aisles, at least at Giant. And that's a thousand different options of beverages. And then the last, if if you think you're just kind of it's in over your head, then you might feel like you're going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? So how do you know that you are someone who is struggling with a consumer mind? I'm going to run through these really quick. You don't serve, you sit. You watch, you don't work. You take in more than you give out. You have a mall mentality. I'm going to look at the church, and I'm going to do my shopping, and they need to have all the options before I can settle into this particular church. A mall mentality. You stay only when it's convenient. I've seen this through the years. Christians that'll go to church, they'll go to church only for a short season, then they move on to something else. What is happening there? Well, it's a consumer mindset that's been built in. They have variety, they have options, they can just go here for a little while, then they can go over there for a little while. Honestly, uh, the, the, the problem is that pastors aren't doing their job. Pastors need to look out for sheep that go wandering, and then they wander over into another fold and sometimes they just wander off, and, and the, sheep don't, the shepherd doesn't even know it, and then they end up at another church, and then they cause problems over at that other church, and then the pastor over at the other church gets all, uh, you know, trying to figure that thing out. And so what I do through the years is I connect with other churches and pastors, uh, and, and I get to know them and love them, and we're in this thing together. I don't compete with other pastors. We try to shepherd the kingdom. And so when somebody leaves the church that, that I'm shepherding and they end up at another church, then I have conversation with that pastor. And so I say, when well, they were really a blessing. They were really cool. They helped out. They did this, that. Or, yeah, you got to look out for that person. They were divisive. They were, they were trouble. And I've had to do that through the years, too. Uh, pastors need to get back to doing that kind of thing because Christians are consumers, and they won't stay, and they'll only stay when it's convenient for them. That's how you know. Here's another one. You want options more than obedience. Here's three ways in the text. If you'll take your eyes there, we're gonna look at verses 22 down to verse 24. Here's number one. A consumer mind is blind to true discernment. The consumer mind is blind to true to discernment. What's discernment? Discernment is being able to tell what is true and what is false, uh, what is error and what is not. I mean, it's be able to look at something and go, you know what? This is of God. This isn't of God. That's discernment. And it's using the wisdom of the Lord to be able to navigate through your life. And so you're walking through life trying to be the Christian in the world Discernment is that high capability and capacity to be able to really look at life and go, you know what, I don't need to go over that way. I don't need to go to this, you know, this. I need to go straight ahead to Jesus, and I need to keep focused really on who he is and what he has called me to do. Discernment is sorely lacking in the Christian church on large scales, and the reason for that, I think, is the low interaction with Scripture, the low interaction with the Bible. You cannot develop discernment unless you know Scripture. 
But the problem with certain areas around our country is that there's high academia and there's, there's really an emphasis on the Bible, but more in an academic way. And we land in that. That is our, our county is very high academic, very much about the Bible. And so, but the problem with that is it just lands in the brain as some form of trivia and not applicational. And it's not, it's not part of your, like, I need the word of God. I need it to, to survive. Like John 4, or was it Matthew 4 that Jesus went out to the wilderness and he was tempted for 40 days. And, and three times he's talking about the scripture and it's written. You know, and so when you're in a religious area, like we're in a religious area, the Bible is there, but it's not there as the bread of life. It's not there where I need it. I need it and I need it to survive. And so that's the real great danger of a religious area. Of course, Lancaster County is even more religious uh, than, than Berks County. So you have to look out for that kind of a thing. Discernment in the Bible. The Bible because you need it. What is a consumer mind? If you take your eyes to the text, verse 22, it talks about the crowd. There's a crowd here, and it's the crowd that was part of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 men. It says 5,000 men, but more than likely it was their wives and their kids. So you're looking at 15, 20,000 people are miraculously fed. So you have this crowd, and in the crowd, you're going to see this first principle that they don't have discernment, that they're lacking something. They're unable to see what they need to see spiritually and supernaturally. And there's reasons for that. And I'm going to try to prove to you that it's because they had a, 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 uh, a customer or a consumer mind. It's like, what can I get out of Jesus? I'm coming up next to him because he's feeding. I'm hungry. There's a miracle here, and I'm getting up next to him. Christians do that all the time. They get up next to Jesus. They get up next to his church, and they're like, what can I get out of it instead of what Jesus? I want to lay down my life. I want to give my life to you. My life belongs to you. You saved me by grace. God, take my life and do what you want with it. But instead, Christians and churches come up next to him, and they do what the crowd does, and they're just saying, you know, I just want, I just want. Can you give me this? Can you give me that? It's a very sad, sad story. It's a very difficult story to watch unfold here in John chapter 6. But this is the crowd. This is who they are, and I really think that they represent in many ways the Christian church. Notice verse 23. It says, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread. Okay, so now you have this, this kind of this mob thing happening, and once you have word starting to spread about this miracle feeding, you know, if you don't have enough and you want more, then you can go to where this Jesus is, and you can have your fill. You can have all of your needs met. Very needs-based, very needs-focused is what they were struggling with. You'll notice at the end of that verse, verse 24, if you look at it, it says they were seeking Jesus. Now, were they seeking Jesus for salvation? Were they seeking him because he was the Messiah? Yes or no? No. No, they were seeking him because they were, had this kind of this consumer mindset. Look at verse 14 and verse 15, if you would. Verse 14 and, and 15. Did I say 14 and 15? Go back in the chapter, uh, or stay in chapter 6, but go back before we actually get to the text that we're looking at. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him what? King, not king of, not king of the Jews, not king of my life, but a ruler, a, a world ruler. They wanted to have deliverance from Rome because they're under Roman oppression, but they don't have the discernment to see that Jesus is really the Messiah. They, they, they can't see him for who he is and what he has done. And so they're seeking Jesus. So you have this crowd gathering, and, and they just want their, their needs met again. 
It's a consumer mind. They want to satisfy the soul, not the soul, but they want to satisfy their personal needs. They want to come to church so they can fit in, so they can connect. I remember years ago, there were people that would come to church, and they were business owners, and they want to connect with other Christians so they could build their business. And that's why they came to church. So there's just the gamut. There's everybody in the crowd, and and we have to really try to help people to uh, be more discerning. But that's what a consumer mind will do. It'll, It'll definitely blind you to be able to see true spiritual realities, and more specifically, who Jesus Christ is. The world's uh, advertising uh, agenda is quite amazing. I was watching TV, and uh, I came across an American Express. Now, I do have an American Express. Uh, Does anybody have an American Express card? I do have one. The church has one. I'm not against it, or I wouldn't have it. But what was interesting is when I was watching the American Express commercial, had this tagline on it. It had this tagline, don't live life without it. <laughs> don't live life without it. And so I don't know about you, but if you know, I pass away and there's an open casket, you know, you're not going to see my American Express laying right there on my chest. You know, he just couldn't live life without it. It's just not going to be there. I think it's ridiculous what the com- consumer agenda is, the marketing schemes of people. And again, I'm not against this, but be very careful. Uh, they're trying to take what they think is important for you to survive, and it's really not that important. I can survive without American Express. But the advertising schemes are just enormous. So there are thousands and thousands of people in this crowd, and they're gathering, and they're looking for Jesus. And you wonder if they have a Christian mind or is it a consumer mind? There are Christians that come around and they're consumers. I remember trying to build a church up in Connecticut. We had six people to start. We had six people. It was really quite an interesting beginning. There was a woman that was in the witness protection program. There was another one that was hooked on heroin. There was another one that was a level two sex offender. And then there was another one that was super eccentric. Nice guy, but he was super eccentric and, and, and really caused people's heads to turn. And there was a couple others that were somewhat normal. And so we had six people to try to build this church. Uh, It was hard. It was a hard beginning. What we started to do is a prayer meeting. We started praying to God, God, would you show up? Please show up. We're we're never going to make it if you don't show up. And then all of a sudden, people started showing up. And I remember this one couple that came, and I had known them for about 15 years. And they said, Chris, it's so good to see you. Welcome back. You know, and and they knew that we didn't have any kids ministry at the time. We had nothing, nothing at all other than a service, and we're trying to, we didn't have a band, we didn't have a worship team. I led worship with CDs. It was really cheesy. I mean, there was nothing to offer. And my friend came, and he said, you know what? Hey, it's great that you're here. You know, you're building a church. Hey, we'll be back when, and he's waiting for us to get established. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I've known you for 15 years, and why? Because he was looking something for his kids, right? That's just the way we think in, in our culture. I'll never, I'll never forget how hurtful that was. And he left. And you know when he came back? When our church was over 200. Then he shows up again. And I'm thinking, yeah, but where were you when we were 10? You know, it's this consumer mind. It's everywhere. It's going to affect your discernment if you're not careful. It blinds you to discernment. Number two, the consumer mind backfires against true discipleship. This is in verses 25 down to verse 27. The crowd Jesus was addressing, they're not really disciples. They're not really learners, and they're not really followers. You'll notice in the text, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, verse 25 and 26, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
So the signs would be who Jesus was, what he said about himself, of course, the the feeding of the 5,000. In that alone, there should have been enough revelation for them to understand that it's not about their life, it's about Christ in them. It should have been about them bowing their knee to Jesus Christ and becoming a follower of him, but they didn't do that. They just wanted their fill. So here's Jesus being very honest and very direct, and I love that about Christ. He doesn't hold back. He does it lovingly, but he does it directly. And he's gonna tell these people that their spiritual life, the discipleship that they should have operating inside of them is now backfiring. They've lost something. They're not grabbing a hold of something. And we need to get back to discipleship. We need to get back to, hey, you know what? Jesus and me, you know, it's, it's Jesus and us. It's, you know what? I have this person in my life that I, I'm pouring into. First is your kiddos. If you have kids, it's your, it's your sons and your daughters. You disciple them. That's where you begin. You pour into your son, Jesus, and pray with him and get on your knees with him. And, and if he's struggling with something, you come alongside of him and your daughter. And, and when you're doing that, you're discipling them. This is what we need to do. There's so much resources and there's so much money and time poured into making our kids disciples that are better at soccer and baseball and football and dancing and gymnastics. It's incredible. But when it comes to discipling them with Jesus and helping them, you don't find a whole lot of that. It's a consumer mind. There's a backfire going on there. I don't know if your car was ever like this. My car used to backfire. And I had an old Datsun. I think it was a 70, 76 Datsun, like a B210. It's been so long. I don't know if you remember that style car. But I, you know, my car would, it was super embarrassing. You know, I'd just downshift and I'd be traveling. And of course, there would be like the cheerleaders like over there. And I'd be going by them. And all of a sudden, the thing would just pow, 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 you know, and the smoke comes out. You know, it's not really uh, one of those encouraging confidence builders when you're trying to uh, look really cool. But it's a lot of times the Christian life is like that. Your discipleship is backfiring. And you're sputtering and you're, you're, you're popping and you're not able to get that traction that you're trying to get in your Christian life. And you're thinking, what is wrong? What is wrong? Why, why does it keep backfiring in my spiritual life? You might want to check to see if you're a consumer. You know, why am I here? Why am I around? You know, why do I, you know, why am I a part of this thing called Harvest Reading? You know, is it to be a disciple? Is it to really be a follower of Christ? Or you just kind of want your fill like what's going on here? Christians are like this, and I think it's important for the church to understand that consumerism is here. It's probably here to stay, and it's affecting the church. So whatever happened to the church, consumer mindset A real disciple makes disciples. Listen to that. A real disciple, who's the first disciple that you've ever made? Who is it that you're working on now? Think of that person. What's their name? How much time are you spending with them? Are you praying with them? Are you giving them Bible verses? Are you, you know, bringing them to church? Who's the disciple that you make? Real disciples make disciples. If you're not making disciples, then maybe you're not a real disciple. That's a strong word. I know it's a strong word but this is what Jesus taught us. Real disciples make disciples. We have so many opportunities here at Harvest. We have opportunities right now. Can I just be blunt and honest with you? We have a a volunteerism plateau going on. And this is what happens when churches get to a certain size. Then we start looking around thinking, well, somebody else will do that. 
and we have a gaping hole in our Harvest Kids. We need six volunteers like today. We need two for the nursery. We need two for preschool. We need two for elementary. We need two teachers and assistants in Harvest Kids like ASAP. This is where you're going to make disciples. This is where you're going to be able to pour into somebody, help them to come closer to Christ. And so we need to fill this immediately. If we don't fill it immediately, then we do Harvest Kids two weeks, and then we don't do Harvest Kids at all for two weeks. This is where we're at. This is like red alert, red alert. So I'm going to encourage you by the end of today, this service, go to Ben and say, you know what, I'm going to plug in. Or if you're in some other ministry that's a little bit easier and lighter and it's out in the lobby and it's not requiring a huge, huge commitment, and you say, you know what, I'm going to jump over to Harvest Kids. I'm going to go into that. Let Ben know by the end of today. We need to get those six positions filled. Um, and you know what, because our world, is, it is what it is. And so we're not going to be able to have new families coming in with kiddos. And if they don't see that we have Harvest Kids, they just won't stay. They just won't stay. A consumer mind. It's all about discipleship. Whatever happened to the church? Consumerism. Here's number three. Number three. And Jesus is so direct. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, two times he's emphasizing, and then he says to them the things that they need to hear, and that's what he does to all of our lives. We say, he says things that we all need to hear, and sometimes those things are hard. So we have blinded to discernment, and we have backfires under discipleship, and number three, the consumer mind breaks away from true devotion. It's in verses 28 down to verse 34. Consumer, consumers have a faith and a belief problem. It's a faith problem. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do? Again, this is the crowd when they eventually came up to Jesus and they found him. What must we do to work the works of God? It's not being about being, it's not about working. It's about believing. This is where Jesus is going with this. It's about him. It's not so much about the things that we can think that we can do to accomplish righteousness. And so they were, they were definitely not liking what they were hearing, and we're going to see some verses that are super difficult to read because you look at the life of Jesus and you think that everybody stuck around. Not everybody stuck around even with Jesus' ministry. as Not everybody sticks around with ministries today. And so you got this key phrase in verse 29. If you look there, it's in him, and they keep going back to this mentality that they have that they have to do something to try to earn something. Uh, but really, if they were to just looked at the feeding of the 5,000-plus people, they would have known that this, is, this isn't just a man. This isn't just a leader. This is God in human form. And so this is what Jesus wants them to understand. Now, I want you to look at verse 32. Notice verse 32. Um, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Of course, they're going back to when they were wandering in the wilderness and provided the manna. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread. Obviously referencing him as Sir. They're again not discerning who he is. And they're wanting this, this bread. They should have said what? I want you. I want you. <laughs> but, you know, they don't have that mindset. They're, they're battling with that. So it looks like, um, you know, things might be possibly moving in a positive direction, but it turns dramatically. I want you to look at verse 41. Go down to verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he was saying some things that were super direct, talking about the bread of life, talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. 
not literally, but as, you know, figuratively, I'm, I'm taking Jesus into my life. He's going to become part of who I am by his Holy Spirit. And, and they just couldn't have that, so they grumbled about him because, they, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Look at verse 52. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, that's tough words. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense of this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. But there are some of you who will not believe, Jesus knew from the beginning, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Look at verse 56, or 66, rather, 66. After this, many of his disciples did what? They turned back and no longer walked with him. Isn't that heartbreaking? I mean, this is the Son of God. These are the ones who said that they believed, but they really didn't believe. What had happened to them? Well, the same thing that's happening to Christians today. It's the same thing. Blinded, unable to discern. Watch out for consumer mind. It's going to cause your discipleship to backfire, and it's going to cause you to break away from devotion. It's going to cause you to go away from Christ, not actually towards Christ. And you can be in a church and not actually be close to Christ. So I'm going to encourage you to really... Look at yourself and say, you know what? Do I have a consumer mind? Can I have every head bowed and every eye closed? I typically don't do formal invitations or anything like that. I'm certainly not going to ask you to get up and come to the front. But I just want this time, we're going to sing one more song. I want that one song to be offered up to the Lord. But I want it to be offered up to the Lord like this. God, I pray that you would help me not to have a consumer mind. I pray that you would increase my level of discernment, help me to see spiritual realities. That's the prayer that I'm going to encourage you to pray during this song and as you sing it. If your discipleship is backfiring on you, you're sputtering and making popping sounds and you're not gaining any traction, not going anywhere fast, then I want you to just say to the Lord, Lord, is it because I have a consumer mind? And then lastly, has your devotion, have you broken away from devotion to Christ, adoration towards him? Can we all stand? God, we pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord, not to be consumers. This has impacted the church, the modern church, in such significant ways. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to help us to reject this. Help us, Lord, to resist this. We pray, God, that you would open our eyes to some of the things that we've been allowing into our lives that are causing us not to see Jesus for who he is. Help us not to fall into the trap of many in that crowd. They just experienced one of the most amazing miracles ever. And they still come around Jesus just wanting a next meal. 
How do we fall into that as a church? How do we fall into that individually? God, speak to us through this song. You are a shelter. There is no one else that we can turn to. You have the answers. Like Jesus said to Peter and the other apostles, who, who else has, are you gonna turn away? And Peter says, who else has the words of eternal life? You don't, you're the one, Lord. You're the one that has the words of eternal life. Please move, Holy Spirit, in this song. Help us to make decisions. Help us to fight against this spirit of consumerism. Teach us what it means to be a real follower of Christ. Help us to get to those places where some of the people that we know about, like Jim Elliott, who said, let me loose my grasp on everything temporal. Help us to do that during this song. In Jesus' mighty name, let's sing. He is truly the shelter.